Well, I hope you all had an amazing Christmas. It's good to have you with us this morning uh, on our final Sunday of 2020. Hard to believe it. We're at the end of this year, and we're going to actually close out our God Is series today. Uh, kicked that off the first Sunday of January, and we've spent this year looking at the Word of God, discovering who God is. Before we dive into that this morning, though, I want to mention something coming up starting January 1st, so in just a couple of days here. As a Foursquare church uh, all over the nation, we're doing something called 21 Days of Prayer, and I'd like you in, to invite you to be a part of that with us. It's 20, they're taking the first 21 days of 2021 and committing them to prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord together as a church family and as a movement. So I want to invite you, Thrive Church family, to jump in and be a part of that. You're going to uh, get an email this week with more information. In fact, you can go to foursquareprayer.org and you can sign up for the daily emails. Each day there's a, an email that comes out with a passage of scripture and some prayer points. And it would just be a great thing for us to start off this new year in prayer together and seeking the face of the Lord. Uh, not just as our church family, but as a larger Foursquare family. So I encourage you to do that, be a part of that time together. So 21 days of prayer starting January 1st, and you'll get some emails and some more information about that. Set aside that time. Uh, in regard to fasting, if you want to fast, uh, do a food fast, you're welcome to do that. Or if there's something else uh, you want to fast, if you want to fast social media or, or, or something, something else in your life that you want to fast, my only encouragement is this. Uh, fasting really requires sacrifice. So pick something to fast that will cost you, that will uh, really honor the Lord and, and really separate you and set aside that time each day for you to be uh, in prayer. The easy easy way to do that is meals because we eat at regular intervals during the day. And if uh, if you're able to fast meals, I encourage you to do that. Uh, and then in those times where you would be regularly eating, take that time to seek the Lord and to pray. So let's kick 2021 20, off with prayer. I think we would all agree that it is not a bad thing to pray going into the new year, uh, anticipating what the Lord would have for us as we go into a new year. So we're going to dive into the Word today. We're going to look at our God Is series. Back on January 5th of this year, I started this series. I've never done a year-long series as long as I've been a pastor, and it was such an incredible journey together. My prayer is that you really were encouraged as you spend time in the, in, in the Word and sought the face of the Lord, asking that question, who is God? And we had the journals and the Bible reading, the Lectio reading that went along with that. I was looking at my notes from the first message this first, uh, on the first Sunday of this year, and it's amazing to look back knowing what we know now, knowing what 2020 ended up being, the kind of year that it has turned out to be. And there were some things in that message that just so resonated in my own heart regarding uh, who God is and, and anticipating this journey and discovering who He is and challenging the ways that we understand and view who He is. And so I wanted to revisit a few of those things, kind of bookend the year uh, with, with some thoughts about uh, the, the nature and the character and, and the way that God in, in, encounters His creation, the way He moves in our lives, uh, the, the things that God's Word says about who He is, and how we really believe uh, what we believe. And so, so we did. We started out asking that question, who is God? 
Um, that first Sunday, I, I posed these three questions. I said, why do I believe what I believe about God? Why do I believe what I believe about God? Where, and, and where do those beliefs come from? What's the, the basis for the beliefs that I hold about who God is? Then I asked this, how do I know that what I believe is true? How do I know that what I believe about God is true? Have I checked it out for myself? Have I spent time in the Word? Have I really sought to understand the, the foundation of those beliefs, of those doctrines, of those, the, those core faith tenets? Or have I just taken them in at face value and not really investigated? And then the last question I asked that first Sunday was, if what I believe is true, if what I adhere to, what I, what I profess to believe in my faith and what I profess to believe about God, if it is true, how should it affect my life? What should be different in my life? What should my life look like looking from the outside in? Not, not how I dis, de, really desire to live, but what do people see in me? Do they see Christ in me? And I introduced us to this idea of theology, and you've heard the word theology, no doubt. Um, but that first Sunday I shared, I said, you, know, you may not know it, and this is still as true today as it was, you know, 300 and something days, 360 something days ago. This is still true, that you have a theology. You have a theology. You have a, a way that you view and understand God. That is called a theology, and you are a theo theologian. Congratulations. You might not be a vocational theologian. There are those who definitely spend their lives and give their lives and their, their vocation to the study of theology, and they write all, all kinds of books and write papers and uh, you know spend years and years in school and, and study environments, but you don't have to be one of those to be a theologian. It's not limited. The study of theology is not limited to, to them alone. We are all theologians. All right, I want to share a little illustration. I like ice cream. I don't know about you. Probably most of you do. I, I've not met a lot of people in my life who don't like ice cream. Ice cream. I know there are, they're out there and Maybe you might be one of us, one of them rather, but, but for the most part, people like ice cream. And you probably have a favorite flavor of ice cream as well. In fact, if you're watching this service today with someone else, would you turn and tell them what your favorite flavor of ice cream is? Go for it. Do it right now. Okay, and, and if you're with people you know well, they probably know what your favorite flavor of ice cream is. My, my, my favorite actually has changed over the years. I used to really be in kind of the more fruit flavors of strawberry or strawberry cheesecake. But recently and currently, my favorite flavor of ice cream is Rocky Road. And, and here's the thing. It's okay for me to have a favorite. It's okay that my favorite is Rocky Road. Uh, my wife, Megan, her favorite is mint chip, and it's been her favorite for a long time. In fact, as long as I've known her, mint chip has been her favorite flavor of ice cream. And I haven't tried to change her mind and say, listen, babe, mint chip just isn't where it's at. It's not, if, if you're going to love ice cream, you have to love Rocky Road. And she hasn't tried to change my mind. And that's because we have a preference. You have a preference for what kind of ice cream you like. I have a preference 
for what kind of ice cream I like. And that's okay. And you're going, okay, Pastor Barry, what does this have to do with theology? Here, here's my point. See, we can't treat theology like we treat ice cream. We can't treat theology like we treat ice cream. That my preferences when, I come, when it comes to theology have to take a back seat to what is true about God. Otherwise, what I do is I force my preferences onto the Lord, onto my, my understanding of who he is. And what can happen is I start making God, I start understanding God through a skewed or through a distorted perspective, and I don't have a clear picture of who he is. We can't do theology in the, the same way that we treat ice cream. We have to set aside those preferences and we can't definitely go to other people and say, this is what you have to believe before we go and we do the work of understanding what God's word says. This is especially true when we're dealing with core doctrines. Core doctrines in the word of God have to do with uh, the foundation of our faith. The fact that like we just celebrated this week with the birth of Jesus, that God came into this world in the form of a baby. He took on flesh, that he lived a sinless and perfect life, that he ministered while he was on earth, that he went to the cross, that he died a sinless death, a painful sinless death upon that cross and gave his life as a sacrifice for all of us, for our sins, that we might be saved. And that on the third day that he rose from the grave, hallelujah, and that sin and death were defeated once and for all. And that Jesus ascended back to the Father and is at the right, currently at the right hand of the Father and that he will return. That's a core doctrine, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was given by Jesus. The, the Father gives the Holy Spirit through Jesus to his church to strengthen and empower and correct and teach us as we walk this road. These are core doctrines. These are non-negotiables. And there are lots of things in Scripture that definitely can be accounted to or treated as preference. But what we're talking about today is the core doctrines of who God is. See, we can't do theology or we can't treat theology like we do ice cream. We have to check our preferences and we have to say, God, give me an accurate view of who you are. So what is theology? Just as uh, by way of reminders, we close out this year as we look into a new year it, that we are not going to at the, at the end of 2020 go, okay, we're done with this series. We're going to stop doing this work. Really what my hope is that we've set a foundation as we move forward as a church family in digging into, digging deeper into the things of God, into the word of God and understanding who he is. So theology, breaking that word now, is made up of two words. The word theos, which is the Greek word for God, and logos, which is the word for speech or word. So theology is simply this. It is a word about God. It is, a, it is the way that we speak about who God is. Breaking it down a little bit more, it is ultimately it is the study of God to understand, to put into words his nature, his character, and his relationship with his creation. And there's a lot more facets, there's a lot more uh, aspects to what theology is that we don't have time to get into today. But know this, that the, the study of God, because he is infinite, because he is uh, omniscient, because he is, uh, he is so immense that we could never exhaust the, the study of God. We can never exhaust the study of theology. 
Killian McDonald, who was a theologian, said this, the purpose of theology until the 12th century was, not, uh, was to not explain God, but to know him in contemplation, adoration, praise, and thanksgiving. The purpose of theology, I'll read it again. The purpose of theology until the 12th century was to not explain God, but to know him in contemplation, adoration, praise, and thanksgiving. That up to a certain point in history, the focus of theology was just to know who God was and out of that knowing to worship him, to praise his name, to, to give him thanks. We went through something as a society called the Enlightenment and people became very aware of their intelligence and all of a sudden there was a shift that took place within the theological world where rather than just seeking to know God, there was now a, an effort to just explain Him. And while there's definitely place for us to try and understand and even explain who God is, at the end of the day, our goal in doing the work of theology is simply this. It's to know God. It's to be in relationship with Him. Once again, we just celebrated Christmas, the ultimate expression of God's love for us, that Jesus would be born into this world, that Jesus was not born so that, so that theologians would have more material to understand or process. Jesus was born into this world so that we could be in relationship with him, so that the broken relationship between God and man could once and for all be restored. See, we are transformed in the presence of God. It's in the presence of God that our lives are transformed, that our, our thinking is transformed, that our emotions are transformed, that our relationships are transformed, that every part of who we are is transformed in the presence of God. And God knew that, and so he brings his presence to us and he makes himself known. But in order to know God, in order to truly know him, we have to seek him. We have to pursue him. That knowing God is not something that's accomplished by osmosis. It's not just accomplished by going through certain motions. That there has to be for each person who would call on the name of the Lord, who would call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, a child, a son or a daughter of God. For each one, there has to be a commitment to say, I will press in and I will seek God. This is what the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, verse 13. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And listen to this in verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The, the prophet Jeremiah here speaking on behalf of the Lord in this context, he's speaking to Israel, but we can take this passage and apply it to our lives as well. God says, I know the plans I have for you. And he wants to prosper us and not harm us and give us a, a hope and a future. And, and I think at the end of 2020, we would all agree that we want to be able to say we have a hope and a future. 
But God says this, that we need to seek him. We need to pursue him. That when we seek him, we will find him. And I love this. See that Jeremiah 29 in this chapter is such a great reminder that God will answer us when we call him. That when we seek him, we will find him. I've said this before and it's worth repeating. That God is not playing a cosmic game of hide and seek. He's not playing games. That he has made himself known. It's his desire to make himself known all throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We see in the nature and the character of God that he wants his creation. He wants his children to know him and he goes to great lengths to make himself known. In fact, our four missional statements as a church is that we would know God, that we would grow as disciples, that we would serve like Jesus, and that we would go into all the world. But it starts with that first one, which is key, that we would know God. And the only reason that we can know God, as the word says, is because he has made himself known, that he has revealed himself. Again, Christmas this week, Jesus coming into the world, excuse me, one of the greatest expressions of God making himself known. Knowing God is crucial. Everything for us, church, hinges on knowing God. But we have to do the work of theology. We have to press in. We have to say, who is God? We have to ask that question. We have to, we have to challenge our own presuppositions, our own understandings, our own, uh, our own assumptions about who God is. We have to challenge the way we've learned things and where we've learned things. We can't just take what we've learned from the people around us. Just because I, I heard something or learned something growing up in a, in, a, in a home or in a particular church, if we've not done the work of going to the Word, we run the risk of believing something that is not true. We run the, the risk of, of buying into something or, or standing, taking a stand about, uh, on a theological stand about who God is that might not be accurate. And so we have to allow the word of God to challenge us. And we do that through theology. So how do we do this work? How do we do this work of theology. Again, some of this is a reminder, but it's been a year, and so I want to give you some of these tools and some of these thoughts. Our theology is built in, in four primary places. The first is this. It's the Word of God. It's Scripture, and, and we call Scripture the privileged authority, that, that everything hinges on Scripture. The second place is this, that we have reason, that God has given us the ability to reason and to think and, and, and to contemplate. And so we build our theology through reasoning, through our, our intellect and through our, our thinking. The third place is this, is through our tradition and, and uh, our, our tradition that spans thousands of years, even going all the way back into the Old Testament. We have traditions that have been handed on and passed along, and we look at our tradition and we understand our theology, a theolo- theological framework through our tradition. Uh, and, and then the final one is this. We build a theology through experience, and not just through our individual own individual experience, but our collective experience as the people of God. What have we seen God do? What have we witnessed? What, have, what can we testify to? And, and that helps to support and build a framework, a theological framework through which we understand God. But it's important to remember this, of these four, scripture, reason, tradition, and experience, 
that Scripture is the authority, that our reason, our tradition, and our experience are subject to Scripture, that our reason, tradition, and experience cannot exceed the bounds of Scripture, that what God's Word says is absolute, that it is the final Word. So I can't come to a place in my own experience and say, well, I experienced this. It doesn't say it in the Word or it doesn't support my experience in the Word of God, but because I felt it or because I, I went through this, it must be a solid theological perspective. That that can't be. What it has to be is this, is that my experience as I walk with the Lord will be supported in Scripture. So Scripture in that case creates uh, guardrails. The Word uh, creates guardrails for us to do this theological work in. It also is the first place that we go. And while reason, tradition, and experience are important factors that will play into our theological framework and building that, it has to be founded on and, and, and really undergirded with Scripture, which is why we have spent this year pressing into the Word of God, looking at the whole of Scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament. We've looked at the poetic books and the prophetic books and the historical books. We've looked at the epistles and we've looked at the Gospels and we've looked at uh, this range of Scripture to, to know this, that God is evident, that who He is can be seen throughout Scripture from cover to cover, that God is making Himself known through His Word. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. All Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful, uh, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture, all of it, is God-breathed and is useful. And it does all of those things, that teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, that Scripture will do all of those things in our lives. As we, as we come to the Word, as we develop the discipline of being in God's Word and, and reading His Word and understanding His Word and understanding the content, context in which it was written, it will do something in us. It will move in our lives. I heard this years ago, someone said this, that when any time that I read a passage of Scripture, that there, because of God's omniscience, that He knew before I read that passage that, he, that I would read that passage at the moment that I read it. And that by His Spirit, He causes those words to come alive in my life, in my understanding, to illuminate and understand who He is. The writer of Hebrews uh, echoes that, and he says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Such a great picture here of, of the way that Scripture works, that it's not passive, it's very active, it's alive, that it is moving. And, and the writer here used this, this imagery of a sword that is, that, is cutting, uh, that is cutting through flesh, that it would penetrate, that it would divide, that it would separate one part from, a, from the other, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and a very vivid metaphor, very vi vivid picture of what the Word of God does in our lives says that it penetrates, divides, and judges. 
that it will look inwardly. And I've got to tell you, when I read that, it doesn't sound comfortable and doesn't sound like fun. This is a, a, a little side thought here. If all I ever do when I read the scripture is feel just overflowing joy and like everything in my life is okay, I'm probably not reading enough of it or I'm not reading it correctly. Because there's something about the word of God that yes, it will encourage you. Yes, it will shine light and it will fill you with life. But at the end of the day, that the spirit of God will cause the word to convict us, to rebuke us, to teach us, to transform us. And none of those things are easy processes. None of those things are a walk in the park. That we need to be challenged by the word of God. That we need to be stretched by the word of God. We need to allow the word of God to judge our attitudes, to judge our thoughts, to, to, to reveal those places where we're being prideful. In fact, the, the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart, it's not our thinking, it's our heart. It's the place where those emotions, those attitudes, that pride lives. It takes root in our heart, which is why the writer of the psalm says that we need to hide God's word in our heart, not in our minds, because it will challenge that place where, where those, those things that are not of the Lord will be birthed out of. Challenges the thoughts and the attitudes, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. See, the danger here is pride. The danger is pride. The danger is saying, I know better, or I've got God figured out. I know what he's all about. The the reality is, is that we could study the scriptures for a lifetime. We could lock ourselves away and be in the word 24 seven and never fully understand who God is. Never have a full picture because he is, while he is, he, he has made himself known. He is not fully knowable because he is so immense, that he is so uh, just beyond our comprehension, but we keep pressing in. See, the danger is pride, and so the opposite of pride is humility, and when it comes to studying the word of God and asking the question, who is God, that, that the essential here for us is humility. It's humility in doing the work of theology. See, we need to learn to listen to the text rather than master the text. Let me say that again. We need to learn to listen to the text rather than master the text. In fact, we need to let the text master us. That we need to allow the word of God to be the the authoritative, directive word of God that it is supposed to be. That it would master our lives, that we would be subject to it as we learn about who God is. I want to close with a, a couple of passages that we, again, we looked at at the beginning of the year. Well, this final passage where we find Jesus with the disciples, and he's in this place called Caesarea Philippi. And I want to read to you out of Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. And this is what's, what's going on. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he's, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or the one or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not to reveal to you by man, 
but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. The incredible passage is as Jesus is spending time with the disciples in the region of Caesarea Philippi in Israel. Caesarea Philippi was the center of pagan worship. There was a number of pagan temples and there was a large cave into which uh, the pagans would uh, conduct their uh, human sacrifice rituals. And it's in view of this place, in the darkest place of humanity, in the darkest place in, in that region, it was it was just it was just vile it was depraved it's in this place where jesus asked this question of his disciples who do you say that i am who is god is essentially what he's asking he's he's asking them the same question who do you say that i am but he precedes that question with this question who do the people say that i am and they answer and they and they give him a picture and they say you know some say it's john the baptist so others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. There were a lot of people who had a lot of perspectives and ideas of who Jesus was. When he turns the question to them and he says, who do you say that I am? It's Peter who speaks up and says that you are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Son of Man. That you are the one who has come. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is who Peter recognizes Jesus to be. And I love Jesus' response. He says to him, this wasn't given to you, this wasn't revealed to you by any, any person. There was no man, no, no person taught you that. It was a revelation from my father. My father is the one, Peter, who has revealed this truth to you. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the fact that he would establish his church and that Peter and the disciples would become the apostles and that they would be the ones who would lead the church as the church would then grow exponentially and explosively around the world, even resulting in us being a part of this congregation today. And Jesus makes that statement and he says that I will build my church. I will build my church in the gates of hell that nothing in this world and nothing beyond this world will be able to stop my church from being established. That's a whole nother area of study that we can get into. See, the world has distorted ideas of who God is. The world has pictures and thoughts and has made decisions about who God is or who God isn't. They've established their own theology. You can have a theology, by the way, whether or not you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that people have words that they would say about who God is. In this place where they were geographically located, people were doing whatever they wanted. They had decided that there was a way that they, that they would worship and it was okay for them, even if it meant the taking of another life or worshiping animals or all kinds of, all kinds of just horrible things taking place in that. And in the midst of this, Peter has this revelation of who God is. Jesus says to Peter, you're blessed. There's a blessing that comes with seeking God and understanding who he is. There's a blessing that comes 
through the revelation that is given by the Father. Why is he blessed? Was he blessed because he got the right answer? No. He was blessed because he had a clear understanding of who God is. And remember I said that we are transformed in the presence of God. That when we press in, when we know who God is, when we seek Him and we gaze on His face, that there is something that happens to, our, to us. That our lives become transformed. And we are blessed when our lives are transformed. Jesus says this was a revelation of the Father. And in the same way that Peter had a revelation from the Father, you and I need a revelation we need a revelation of who God is. And in church, I've got to remind you that the revelation of Scripture is the first place that we go to. That we need to have an understanding of who God is from His Word, from the Word that He's given us. The Word, this love letter that He has written to us where He has unpacked and fully described who He is. And He has made Himself known through Scripture that we would do the work of going to scripture, to understand, to receive that revelation. I've had so many times when, when I'm in the word of God and there's an aha moment. You know what I'm talking about, that moment where the penny drops and you go, oh my goodness, I get that now. And I know this, this is not because of my smarts or my intellect, it's because God is revealing something to me about who he is. And here's what I know is that more often than not, when that happens, I'm just humbled, I'm brought to my knees, quite often brought to tears as I consider the goodness of God, the majesty, the majesty of God, the justice of God, the love of God, the compassion of God, all of the things that we've even talked about this year. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 29 says this, but if from here you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. God's speaking to the Israelites as they had come out of Egypt and out of slavery, echoing the words of Jeremiah. If from here, from this place, you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. But you've got to seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. The reminder here out of Deuteronomy stands for us today that we would come to the word of God that we would seek him with every part of who we are, that we would humble ourselves before him. And then Jesus says this as we close today in Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This passage out of Matthew 7, where Jesus is speaking to the crowds, is not about us asking and seeking and finding things that will make our lives just better or more comfortable or more convenient or easier. The seeking here is about the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking about seeking, knocking, finding, and, 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 and pursuing an understanding of his kingdom to know who God is. And the invitation still stands for us that we would come and we would ask that we would seek, that we would knock, that we would pursue God relentlessly, that we would seek to know him more tomorrow than we did today, that we would surrender our opinions, that we would surrender what we think we know at the foot of the cross, that we would allow God's word to reveal what is 
out of place in our lives and to bring that into alignment, that we would humbly seek the face of God. And as we do, as we gaze upon His face, that He would transform our lives. Church, as we move into another new year, we don't know what 2021 holds any more than we knew what 2020 held for us. But this we do know, that God's word stands forever, that he is unchanging, that, that Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's pursue the Lord once again in 2021. Let's seek his face. In the midst of changing times, in the midst of things shifting and changing all around us, in the midst of uncertainty, let's press into the presence of God. Let's know who He is. Let's build our lives on that rock, on that understanding, on that knowledge. And as we do, God will bring a revelation of who He is. Our lives will be transformed and blessed because of it. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you came into this world to reveal yourself, to make yourself known. Father, I thank you that you sent your son, that your heart was that we would be restored to you, that the broken relationship that is, existed between God and man would be reconciled. God, I thank you that you want to make yourself known, that it is your desire to reveal yourself to those who would seek you. And Lord, I thank you that you're not playing games with us. Lord, as we seek you in humility, that you do make yourself known. Lord, that even a child can grasp and understand and see your face. And Lord, the most educated scholar, the most educated theologian can still study and pursue and know you. And then, Lord, that you are unfathomable. There, there's so much about who you are that you are transcendent, yet God, you have become imminent as well and made yourself known. And so, Lord, as we move into a new year, Lord, may we seek you with all of our hearts. And I thank you, Lord, as we do, that you tell us that we will find you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, you can make that decision today. If you've never made the decision to make him the Lord and Savior, of your life. I want to encourage you to, to do that today. You can do that by simply praying this prayer with me. So if that's you, would you pray these words? Just repeat after me, me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming into this world and dying on the cross for my sin. I commit my life to you. I repent of my sin. I confess my sin before you, and I ask that you would forgive me. I choose to follow you. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior and my God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, please let us know. You can click the Connect Card link or send us an email at prayer at thriveglendora.org. We'd love the opportunity to follow up with you. If you did pray that prayer, congratulations. Welcome to the family of God. You just made the greatest decision of your life, and we celebrate with you. Church, I love you. Happy New Year. We'll see you next time. Make sure to invite somebody to join you for church. God bless you as you go.